I'm from Salesforce and I'm here to help. So I was telling you earlier that uh, my power went, power went out last night for almost two hours. It's that storm that went oh, through yeah. like, you know, half of Texas, basically. Super high winds and all that, but uh, our yeah, power went out for a couple of hours, which is a, a kind of a rare thing that does not happen often. Um, but apparently, it has it has not happened since I got hue light. So I have some of those hue light bulbs mm-hmm. that you know they're one of this great Internet of Things innovations, and you can it hasn't you know it's on your network and you can change colors and whatever. And I I hardly ever use it anymore. I think it's more of a pain in the ass than what it's worth to have to open an app and then get to the right room. And I just, I just you don't hit, have to open an app. I just, just hit the light switch. Just tell. Uh, I'm going to be careful. Yeah, tell Echo to right. change the lights for you. <laughs> yeah, you can do that, and that's annoying too. I, I actually I cringe, and when, you know, anytime my kids say, "Hey, lady," or whatever the you know, the, you know, what I'm, mm-hmm. um, and ask, I'm, I was just like, cancel. Cancel. I just I'm sick of that thing. I because every time you know every time they someone asks us something like it usually gets it wrong and it's just I don't know and it's this is where we are with AI at this point. But anyway, I I I don't really care for using that thing that much. Sometimes it's cool. I don't know. I use it for a couple things, but overall, nah. Not it's not ready yet. Not ready for prime time. But anyway, so the reason that I've know and that I've realized that. You know, we've not lost power since I've had these heat lights. Is the thing that I'm awoken by in the middle of the night is all the lights on in full blast in my house at two in the morning. Yeah, and I, you know, t- I was like, you know, it was it came out of a deep sleep, and I'm trying to figure out like what the hell is going on, and then I realized, oh, all the lights are on. That's why I just got like shocked with light, and I'm awake now. And then I realized it's the hue lights only. I'm like, well, crap, what's going on? And then it couldn't have been five seconds later, and we lose all power. So I think what had happened is we lost power for a second, and it blipped off, and uh-huh. that's all it takes. Because the light switches for those heat lights are set to on, and you can so you can then you control the actual functionality of the light with your app. Well, uh-huh. when that thing, if that hub or whatever that they have to, because you have to have a hub, uh-huh. which is also a pain in the butt. Um, it, uh, it if it loses power at all, then it just defaults to everything full blast white light. Oh, so every time the power goes off, it, it just they yeah. just go on. Yeah, full blast. Well, once the power comes back on, not, yeah, when not the power when comes off. back on, yeah. It would be cool if they had a little battery in them. That way, when the lights do go out, you can you have a little bit of time to see your way around. Yeah, that would yeah, possibly. I mean, assuming that it's dark. I mean, it could be you know, power can go out in the middle of the day or whatever. But anyway, <sighs> modern technology. I know it's just like it. You know these. There's parts of them that are cool. There's parts of the, uh, the the lady in the cylinder that's cool. There's parts of these lights that are cool, but they've still got so much of them. It's just a pain in the butt, and they're expensive. You know, it's just it's like I don't get my value out of these. Yeah. Oh, which kind of leads me to another thing. So you you gave me that Fire TV stick. Yeah, how's that working out? And it, well, I just had it in the bag, my bag. I never took it out until what was it last weekend? I texted you. Right. I plugged it in because my, my kids found out that I had it. And they were so, they, of course, it's <laughs> over after that. <laughs> were you hiding it? <laughs> no, just I hadn't taken it out of my bag. And I, you know, I didn't feel like, you know, digging out my, because I've got like that one, like the AV receiver that everything plugs into. And I had to pull that out to plug it in. It ended up being pretty easy, but I don't know. I just didn't feel like I had a big incentive. So I was procrastinating. Mm-hmm. But they found out that I had it. So they wouldn't leave me alone. 
about it. So I plugged it in. Did they know what it was, or they were just like, "What's this? What's this?" And then you told them. And I then... told them, and then yeah, it's all it's all over after that. So I plug it in. You know, works great. It's easy to set up, and uh, you know, hooked hooked up. You know, added my Netflix. You know, connected to my Netflix account and. You can do YouTube, and it even has a you know. I guess they, they all these things have this now, but it's got a Plex app. And you remember that was that was mm-hmm. one of my big hangups about um, not having a home theater PC, right? An actual P- well, I have a Mac Mini in this case, but some kind of computer. It's because I feel like I don't have enough flexibility because I need to be able to run Plex and all these other things. Well, all these things have Plex apps now. You still have to have a Plex server, right? Which runs the Plex media server. Mm-hmm. But for the thing on that's hooked up to the the big TV in our family room, that can just be a Fire TV stick or any of these things because they all have they all have a like Plex has made an app for all these things, right? Including I think most of the TVs, the smart TVs. Is that what they're called nowadays? I guess. Yeah. yeah. Which by the way have gotten much better. Really? Uh, yeah, they've gotten now they're all still different. Some of them have their own completely proprietary OS. Some of them run. Uh, there's a good. I think Google's got one. I can't remember the name of it that a few of the TVs run, and then. Um, Someone's got a Fire um, Fire OS, which I which I don't know if or maybe it's Firefox OS. I don't know what it is, but anyway. Hmm. So there's a few common platforms that are some of them are sharing, and then a couple have their own. But yeah, I was over at a buddy's house, and he has a big Samsung new t- uh, TV, and I assume it's fairly, relatively new because the smart TV part of it, it just it was like I was like wow, this is I was pleasantly surprised at how hmm. n- you know decent the navigation was and it looked okay. But, um, so everything worked great, and it's got games, which is kind of like a double-edged sword, because the games yeah. on, on Amazon's Fire TV platform are pretty good. In fact, that was one of their big requirements, I, I learned, with Fire TV when they, when they designed it, was it needs to be a good gaming platform. So, I think the APIs are probably pretty good, and the graphics it's got is, like, the 3D graphics and everything, not bad. And so, they're playing all these games. And, uh, and then, of course, I discovered that I could hook it up to Plex, and I was like, oh, this is cool. So, and I, I put it on just like some kid's movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a demo or whatever, but I noticed that about every I don't know ten seconds it would it would pause for a few seconds, really? and then it would continue, and then it would pause for a few seconds. So I was like, well, let me figure this out. And I, you know, I had it on Wi-Fi. I didn't have a hard wire, so I thought maybe it's having have problems, you know, pulling the data fa- fast enough. Um, but that turned out not to be it. And then I thought, well, maybe maybe it's just too much. Like I don't know. Oh, you know what else I thought? Um, those. Um, I think the thing I was watching was like DT- oh, yeah, the audio was DTS mm-hmm. and I think the Fire TV only does Dolby Digital so I thought well maybe it's trying to trans and, and it was showing up my receiver was saying hey this is Dolby Digital Well, th- so it was it was transcoding this, the audio stream on the fly now what I don't know is I don't know if Plex was doing that or if the Fire TV was doing that but I so anyway but what I what I ultimately figured out was this particular Fire TV stick which I probably the original one I don't know how long you you had that because I think there was a version two of the, of the sick. Yeah. Um, it only supports H two sixty four level forty or four point and these the, there's these profile levels, and basically the the two ones that you see the most often are forty mm-hmm. or four and four point one. And the only difference I can tell because they both the both um, both of those are up to ten eighty p, and but the four point one has a supports a much higher bit rate than four so a device oh. that really doesn't support 4.1, it's usually because its its CPU just isn't capable of decoding like a a, a 15 megabit bit stream. Right. It's I think 4.0 probably maxes out at like I don't know eight megabit or something like that. And so that was. So was that a setting on the Fire Stick or on your server? It's not a setting on the Fire Stick. It's just Fire Stick. If you th- if you send it, 
content that is that's beyond the 4.0 profile, it's just likely to beat to stutter because it just can't decode it fast enough. But Plex doesn't do anything to kind of try to say, okay, what's the what what protocol or something I should be using so here? So Plex, the Plex Media Server has the ability to live, um, what do they call it? Tra- transcode, mm-hmm. which is not a sexual thing. <laughs> Um, it can transcode the stream to, you can pick lower bit rates or you can even, like in every Plex client it's uh, app, it has the ability to say, um, like always do a four megabit stream or, or whatever. And so I can do that. But I could, I, and I did do that, I tested it, and I, but it was noticeably like blurrier. Mm. And also, um, I don't think this, because, you know, I've t- talked about it before, my Mac Mini is pretty old. I think the CPU is a Core right. 2 Duo. Yep. And it just, doesn't have the capability to the Mac. The Mac Mini was like it was. It was maxing. I was like oh, about to catch on fire trying to like transcode this <laughs> this thing live. But this, but everything else, I loved so much about this Fire TV. I was so impressed with it. I thought, okay, now I need to actually do some research on Fire TV, Apple TV, uh, Roku. Mm-hmm. What else is there? Um, Sling. Or something. Well, Sling is like a software thing. It's an action app that can run on these. I think. Yeah, Fire TV, Roku. Apple TV, there's, um, NVIDIA has one that's like a gaming platform slash a home theater thing that's like these other ones. So I did all this research. You know, Fire TV, got they've got a new, they've actually gone to a box, mm-hmm. I think, just because they need the power. They just have more space. Yeah. Um, but ultimately settled on, I ordered a Roku, um, oh, cool. like the, the Premiere Plus or something. So, and it, I think it'll come in, I don't know, today or tomorrow or something. But they're, they're on sale. I think it was like 79 bucks for their second to highest in one. The highest it had, I think, voice command. And again, I'm not sold on voice with anything. Nothing voice works. You know, yeah. the lady on the phone doesn't work. The lady in the cylinder doesn't work. These things are not impressive. And, and in fact, and I heard just on reviews that the, the, the voice recognition, I guess, language processing that Roku has is not that great, even compared to the other one. So I just got this. I didn't get the model that had that. Um, but it supports up to 4K and HDR. They're pretty great. I mean, I haven't used a Roku yet, but... Uh, so you're thinking you're not going to replace your Mac Mini? You'll just try to stick with this for a while? I think I'm still going to have to have a computer. Or Yeah, now, I shouldn't say Mac Mini because I'm not even sure they're going to make more of those. I don't know either. And the thing is, I saw, I need to look and see what Plex Media Server can run on. I don't know if Plex Media Server can run on... Because I've always had this idea of like, well, maybe I'll just get um, one of these Intel NUX. Because mm-hmm. you, you can get a great one for like $300. Which is would be way more powerful than my current Mac Mini, but right. uh, but I would want to run. I don't think I'd run a one. I don't know. Maybe I should just run Windows. But I was like, I'll, I'll, I would just run Linux on it. But I don't think Plex Media Server runs on like. I'll have to check. Runs on Linux. If it does, I know the client doesn't. I think, but maybe the server does. I'd have to have the server because mm-hmm. the server is still what connects to your data sources, like your storage right. devices, and you know reads all the reads the files and categorizes all the content. And it, then it serves that up to whatever client, whether it's on your phone or an Apple TV or any of these other things. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm I'm excited about the Roku. I'm you know the the, the Amazon thing is I think is pretty great. Um, one of the complaints against it is that it really prioritizes Amazon's content, the TV, the videos, everything. Mm, but that didn't really yeah. bother me because you can still I mean you can still get to YouTube and all that. It's just it's an app. Right. So I'm not really sure on Roku's interface. I don't know if it. What would be really cool is if Something like a Roku, which is theoretically independent of any content provider. Like, they're not married to any of them, right? Kind of, supposedly. Who knows? You never can tell, but... Well, I mean, they're, they're, I guess they're more neutral. And I mean, Yeah, because they don't know. They don't have... 
They don't have their own streaming library or they don't sell content at all. Yeah. I mean, just, Apple's kind of like that too. It doesn't really have any kind of content. Except but for this but silly, silly new uh, show that they've created. But have they come the up with an episode of the app? Yeah, the, no, the, the, what, was it, what was it called? It's a, it's a show about making apps and it's it's like a shark tank for apps. And like Gary Vaynerchuk and uh, Gwyneth Paltrow are going to be judges. Oh, I, I heard a little bit about it, but never really followed through. We talked about it more. on the show. Did we? Yeah. Okay, it, maybe that's where I yeah. heard it from then. <laughs> but um, anyway, I, what I would be great, and I hope the Roku does this, is like, you can go, you can say, hey, I want to look at movies. And it just shows you movies across all of your sources, your local stuff from Plex, Apple, um, well, you can't do any iTunes stuff. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, yeah, so your local stuff, your Netflix stuff, YouTube, mm-hmm. Amazon, right? Like it shows you that in kind of like a, a source neutral way so that you can focus on the content, finding the content you want. Right. And then when you select the content, it says, oh, you can watch this through Netflix and Amazon video. Which one do you, which one do you want? Or maybe you can even set a priority, like a default one or the, over the other. But anyway, um, the only downside to the, the Roku, Fire TV, all these things, is none of them can access your iTunes content. If you've bought movies or if you have subscriptions to TV shows or all that kind of stuff, the only thing you can watch them on is an, is an Apple device. But it'll do Amazon? Does Amazon, yep. Interesting. Yep. Because I don't think I can do Amazon on Amazon, on, Netflix, on Apple TV. Hulu. Uh, I think you're right about that. Which is I can do Hulu and I can do yeah. YouTube and all those kind of things, but I can't do... Yeah, they just don't play well together. They don't no, like they each don't. Other. I don't know it's why. It's kind of like a Salesforce and Oracle. <laughs> but honestly, at the time, back then, I, I was struggling to find content on Amazon that I really wanted, and I don't really have a lot of time to, to watch a lot of stuff, so I mainly stick to the YouTube, Netflix, and yeah. you know the movies that come out. It's about all I got time for. Right. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited about this. It's a fun little gadget. And they're, you know, they're so cheap, too. I mean, relatively speaking, yeah. considering how powerful they are nowadays. As long as it can play that, you know, my high bit rate, I guess, Plex content, you know, that's 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 the one of the big things for me. So is it gonna replace the fire stick? What do you think you're gonna do with that? Um, yeah, I'll either give it back to you or give it probably give it no, to I someone. It. I'll I'll find someone who wants it. <laughs> find someone who wants it. Yeah. I mean the the only thing it the only thing it wasn't great at was playing my high bit rate stuff in Plex. Yeah. I mean, everything that you can stream seemed fine. It was smooth. It looked great. Yeah. So, uh, and again, the games are great. Even for that first generation Fire TV, and this was the the stick, not the box. The little, just the little stick. Mm-hmm. That, it looks like a USB dongle. And there's HDMI dongle or something. It's HDMI, but yeah. I'm saying yeah, it looks like a USB oh, yeah. memory stick. Yeah. That's basically the form factor. So it's really impressive that that thing can run decent games. Yeah, uh, the, Roku has games, but they're horrible. It's like, it's like the games that came on the the Palm Pilots, that little worm game, and like really cheesy stuff. So my kids will be disappointed about that. But to me, it's a it's a it's a win because I don't want them sitting in our family room and taking up the TV and just sitting there in front of the TV. They have iPads. They don't need you know they don't need to play games on the big TV. So no game consoles or anything? Well, and if this becomes a problem, what I'll do is I'll use this as a lever to convince my wife to let me buy a new TV for our family room, and then our current TV that's in there can go upstairs. Yeah. So it's, start it's, working I'm, on that. I'm playing the long game, John. Start working that. Playing the long game. Uh, don't forget about titles, John. We've got to get, we've got to, this one's got to be a catch and release. We've kind of failed on our last two. We got it out the it's, same we, day. We've, it's 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 like a, it's, instead of catch and release, it's like when you're when you're these videos where like a guy will be fishing in the ocean and he accidentally like a, sh- a shark jumps up into the or some 
some big fish jumps up into the boat and they're have you seen that like or like a swordfish will jump like a marlin or something uh, will jump up something, well right? yeah will jump up into the boat and it's like flopping all around and you know this like three hundred pound fish and they, they don't know what they, that's what's happened to us the past two weeks it's not a catch <laughs> release it's been like catch and then we wrangle with it for hours and because of some problem anyway so your problems I don't know we we need to get to Salesforce stuff where we're gonna start getting slapped um, I do have a quick follow up do you have any follow up. Uh, we have some questions and a review. Yeah, it's not follow-up. Okay, let me do my follow-up. We talked about, or I, I was kind of complaining about these old-school designers that still want to do big upfront wireframes process right. and like finish designing all the interfaces before any real software has been built, right? right? Um, there is a podcast called The Big Web Show, and it's with uh, Jeffrey Zeldman, who's you know a, a, mm-hmm. a web person of fame. Um, and it's on the 5x5 five five network, your boyfriend. Uh, and uh, there, I, I don't know if it's, I guess it's the most recent show, 156. The title was Practical Design Discovery with Dan Brown. So I guess Dan Brown's this guy who does, you know, really experienced designer, but he's written up many of these books. And his most recent thing is like teaching people how to do design discovery. And it's, and it's basically incorporated all these agile philosophies into design because, again, design traditionally has been really bad waterfall mm-hmm. and bad by like just really waterfall if you think that's bad then <laughs> bad <laughs> i think it's bad um and and yeah so he's you know it's just the the kind of description of the episode was like what is discovery and why is it important to design what's the difference between discovery and ux strategy or research and how can you sell discovery to organizations and people who are afraid of it um, how has design changed since you got started in the 1990s? That's a question for him. So re- I found that really interesting. <clears throat> and if that topic is, you know, just agile and just, and how do you sell discovery to customers? And and particularly, you know, if you're interested in, in a design aspect of that, that was a uh, good episode. I'll try to put the link in the show notes. All right. Um, questions? Uh, you know what? Let's talk about real quick, just because I don't think we mention it. Or we usually wait to the end of the show, and I'm not even sure people make it to the end of our show. We should do a survey or something. Uh, Texas Dreaming, we're going to be there. It's in Austin, May 21st yep. through 22nd. Uh, that's a Thursday and a Friday. I guess Friday or Thursday night. It sounds like you know because no one's pushed back. We're going to try to get together Thursday night. Just uh, I don't know. Go go eat and enjoy some beverages and yeah. Whatever. Um, there's a channel on our Slack team. If you're interested in in going to Texas Dream and just join that. And, I didn't and, get to vote on the channel creation, by the way. No, you didn't. <laughs> I made a unilateral decision. <laughs> but yeah, uh, join that channel just for updates. We probably should put together like a Google Doc just so people can uh, list themselves as, as they're going. And we also probably should do, um, unless there's a better solution, I'm, I'm up for suggestions, but like the group me, we use group me. It's a it's a mobile app. I think it's available on all the platforms. Mm. It's almost like it's it's like a group text, but way better. And so what we'll do is I think we'll create a group me and just everyone who's going uh, add us to your group me or add our group to your group me, and then we can all um, basically text with each other mobile on mobile phones. Well, how's that different from uh, the Texas Dreaming channel on Slack? Because it's on people's mobile phones and it's just it's for this. It's it's better. It's if your if your thing is like you're all you're moving and mobile and you want to try to coordinate something, GroupMe works really well. Okay. I mean, we could, I guess, you know, people want to put Slack on their phones and do it that way. I don't know, maybe that's fine. I don't know. Uh, if, yeah, I guess let us know. <laughs> what do you think? Do we need GroupMe or should we just use the Slack channel? It's just an idea. 
um, yeah, that would be cool if people can make it. I know there's a lot of people who are tentatively going because they have talks submitted, and if they don't, if the talk doesn't get accepted, they're just not going to, you know, pony up for the travel bill. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think my. I don't think I'm end up going to do anything speaking wise there. I I did submit some topics, but there's apparently some kind of glitch in the form that collects your topic and information that I guess submits it into their Salesforce. And uh, it glitched on the descriptions, apparently. So they sent out a note asking everyone to redo their descriptions or reply back with their descriptions. And I never got around to it. And honestly, I was feeling a little less passionate about my topics at that point in time. And I was also really busy. So I just didn't have time to circle back and do it. So I was like, ah, this is just not happening. <laughs> yeah, just it's take, finding the time for those things is tough. Um, okay. And also, you know, you don't talk about Trailhead X just because, you know, you're saying you think you might not be able to make it. Because, and we've talked about, you know, doing some kind of meetup, you know, maybe the day before or, you know, I don't know how practical that is because people would have to probably fly in early. Yeah. Maybe the night before because be, most people fly in. What, won't most people fly in the day before? I don't know. So maybe that night or something? Depends. I mean, everything, everything in San Francisco is really expensive. So flying in the night before is an extra three or 400 bucks of a hotel room, right? See, I think I'm going to be out there anyway. So this, yeah. this just kind of works. For me, it's, it's, um, I spent a bunch of money because I just got allergy tests done and I'm taking shots now. Which for some reason is like, I don't understand. It's, it's that, really expensive. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. Uh, <laughs> and then I got, I just had a bunch of work done on my car so I don't have to buy a new one. So now it's all nice and cool and feels new. Yeah, uh, you saved you, you saved yourself so much money by not buying a car. You don't and on and that, for the low low price of Fitbit and dollars in repairs. Why are you airing all my my bills here? Uh, I can believe those. <laughs> uh, but no, it's it, it's been a good car. So I wanted to keep it, and I didn't. I you know, honestly buying a new car is just stressing me out because I feel like quality has gone downhill on all these new cars. They're so gadget focused now that the quality and build. I mean, I drove a rental that's like fairly new, maybe uh, maybe less than six months. Right. I already had all these weird rattles and noises and everything. I'm just mm. like, this sucks. Yeah, I, I got this push button to start, and I have to take my keys uh, in my pocket. But I think you're just getting old because I can remember my dad saying that in the '90s. Really? Yeah, it's just everything's plastic and these pieces of crap. It's like rattle trap. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, I'm very picky about noises. It, it bothers me if I hear a noise. All right. So anyway. You know, time, yeah, so I don't time know. money, whatever. You, time you, money. You're, I'll be just. I'll just. Like I'll just be getting back from my family vacation because we're the second week of June. We're going to vacation and coming back, and so then that'll be like maybe a couple weeks of work, or maybe even just a week of work before I have to fly out again. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm just not feeling like it's going to be something I'm going to be able to swing. Yep. At this point. Okay. Well, so it sounds like it, at best it'll be um, maybe again like a. a Kind of an informal meetup at, at somewhere because we talked even about even trying to like reserve a room somewhere and maybe the, for the day before and doing some kind of like a little open space yeah. conference type of thing. But uh, if you're not well, unless something there, then... changes and I and I don't make oh. it, I, I can find a way to be remote Facetime or something. I don't yeah. know. Okay, uh, let's get you know, questions. Does that make sense? We have some questions. Do those? Oh yeah. So uh, these are questions that have been sent in from. Uh, uh, various uh, members of the Good Day Sir Army. If you would like to send in a question, uh, how can how can you do that, John? I don't know. I forgot. I don't ever. I don't ever. This is not for... cute for you to say. I don't know every time. That's not a funny <laughs> joke anymore. <laughs> I you just set me up for it. And I, I know. Just, okay. I can't well, help it. I will. I will answer my own question. It's info at gooddaysirpodcast dot com. You can send us questions. You can if you want us to talk about something, and we have you know I don't know any, any idea possibly what we're talking about we, we uh, might try to discuss it 
and we will not use your name unless you give us explicit permission. Speaking of which, we do have follow-up um, that came you know, in. We've already, no, we, uh, follow-up segment is closed. We're now on, into the B block, John. <laughs> well, the, the reason I'm putting it in this, sec- in this segment, you know what happened to us, Jeremy? <laughs> we have segments. We, this, John, this we have... This used to be just you and me talking. <laughs> hey, how are we ever going to get sponsors if we don't have... As, if we're not as, professional and we don't have segments and, you know, we can't stick to our a plan? <laughs> this was just supposed to be us micing our conversations that we have over lunch and okay. a beer. All right. I and will, now we have segments and topics and sections and... I, I'll allow a, a one-time exception. We can go back to follow-up. Okay. This came in as, through our... Through our email address, through info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. Uh, it was a follow-up? Because I well, didn't have is. questions. I we saw. do have questions, but okay. this one is kind of a follow-up. So this one, I won't mention names, but okay. this one says, uh, love your podcast and just listening to the March 16th episode and heard you discussing the Salesforce of pot industry company. The company, like like a couple others, is doing Azure. However, Salesforce does have a cannabis marijuana app approved and listed on the app exchange. Of course, <laughs> of course they do. It's Salesforce. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I, 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 you remember that? I don't remember what that was. Oh, I just, I, I don't think we got into it. It's just that someone claimed they were going to be the Salesforce for pot. Oh, that's right, the Salesforce for pot. That's Which is funny because that's the first time I've seen someone use that because you know it was, it's been the Uber for, you know, that's been the, that's been the big offender, the Uber for everything, right? Yeah. Well, not anymore. I'm the Uber of humans, bitch. Not since the CEO kind of screwed that up. No one wants to be the Uber of anything anymore. Uh, yeah, they're, they're gonna... Uber of sexual harassment. Uh, yeah, but, um, anyway, so I, I, that was the first time we'd seen someone say, I'm the Salesforce of this or that. Yeah. I guess that's, that's how Salesforce knows they've made it. People are starting <laughs> to say they're the Salesforce of something. What would that actually, what, how does that analogy work? They're the, they, they've got a, several different loosely coupled, not very well integrated products that they call a platform and, and they use that to sell pot. What does it mean to be the Salesforce of something? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> It's in the cloud. They don't ever make it's any money, no matter how big they get. It's the cloud. Okay. No, we don't even know what that means. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I'm Anyways. just, uh, I'm just giving Salesforce a hard time as I. Uh, but it's, it's not, it's not unheard of that Salesforce would have an app for this because uh, <clears throat> it's a business and it requires managing customers and. Well, to be clear, this is not an app that Salesforce has. They're just, they're saying they're going to be the Salesforce of Pot. Not that they're going, they're not using Salesforce. They're not, they don't have a Salesforce app. They're just the Salesforce of Pot. Yeah. Okay. There's a difference. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So what did they? So was that what? What was their point on that? Oh, just just to make us aware that because because we talked about the Salesforce pot, but it wasn't an actual Salesforce app. No. But this this one was giving us feedback saying there actually is a an app for managing marijuana sales that you can download from the App Exchange. So I do know. Um, I, I've been told this. I've I've never personally used it. Um, but there's an app called Leafly. I think that's what it's called. Let me just make sure. Yeah, it's a it's like an app. Um, and it's basically like a list of um, like dispensaries, mar- you know, marijuana dispensaries and and reviews. And I think it also has like a library of all the, di- yeah, explore strains. So they've got like all the different strains lists and and how, you know, do whether they're kind of, they, they lift you up or they they chill you out or they make you tired or they make you want to exercise or clean I th- the house. I thought you didn't know anything about this. I don't. I, I'm just, <laughs> I've, I've been told, I have it on good authority. I've never, I would never use such a uh, yeah, con- contraband app, John. <laughs> Uh, we have. Well, I know we have at least one uh, one set of questions. Do you have that that came in today? Yes. Okay. You want you want me to do um, that? I think I want you to read them. Okay. So these are these were from Stephen Noe. He gave us permission to use his name. So the first his first question is: When it comes to editing profiles, do you prefer the enhanced profile editor interface or the original interface? Um, 
I yeah, I always use the original. The the new one, I I can't find anything. I've been and forcing myself to use the new one. Why? Just just because I feel like that's where it's going. You know, you it's, the it's old, not even you know, the, it's not even lightning though. So I mean, I assume eventually lightning. Not, but when lightning it came will, out, I felt like okay, this is where this is how it's going to have to be. And if I don't force myself to use it, I'll be a dinosaur. And I'm and then one day I'll be going in trying to no. find something. I won't be able to find it. The, the great thing about the the older one is that everything loads on the page, so you can just do a command F yeah. and quickly find what you're looking for. Which is, whereas in the new one, it's like I which, I have which, no idea where to go. Salesforce to find. really just kind of killed that on a lot of things, especially for the lightning stuff. You know, the pay. Going to an we've mentioned this before. Going to an object and you you can see all the lists, the full list. If you have a big object with a bunch of fields, you could always just do a, a browser find and find that field. Well, now you're stuck with using their search field to yeah. try to find the yeah, field, and is... it only searches the name. It doesn't do the API name, which sucks. Yeah. Um, and then okay, I guess a follow up question on that one is he says I suppose the third option would be I love the metadata API so much I'll only use that for updating my profiles. <laughs> <laughs> That would be you. Uh, I guess. I'm going to have to give that a... <laughs> uh, okay, uh, question number two. This is the, oh, these are All three of these are from Steven. Whatever happened to the super secret app that John was building last year? I feel like we've, um, we've been asked this a few times. No, no App Club, you don't, you, don't, you don't ask questions. Oh, the, that's club. right. The, the first rule of John's secret app club is... You don't ask about my app. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's still alive. All, it's still all we a know, dream. Okay, this is, and I'm people. I'm sure people don't believe me. All I know about this thing is that uh, you decided that you weren't, you just weren't having, you weren't fi- be able to find the time to work on it the way you wanted to. Although you still have it, it's still there. You still might resurrect it, and it had something to do with Salesforce. It was some kind of Salesforce tool or something. That's all that I know. That's all you ever told me. Oh, and, and that it was, you know, we knew that it was electron based, or oh, that's where, yeah. that's what you were going to attempt to do. Right. So that's all I know. That's about the, all there is yeah. to tell right now. So I, you know, I feel like we should, you know, we just we'll just retire this topic until you know sometime in at which John decides that he wants to resurrect it. Yep. All right. Number three. What will happen first? Benioff appears as a guest on the podcast, or the Good Day Sir Army is mailed their T-shirts they're owed. <laughs> uh, mailed their shirts. I don't know. I think a Benioff might be a guest before. <laughs> I haven't bagged. I just need to send them. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. That's my fault. Hey, at least I don't. Does anyone? No one paid us for shirts, right? No, Although, no. But that, that's a topic that we should probably bring up because because people had mentioned why don't we just start up a cafe press account or, or some service like that and let know, people order shirts. For and themselves. I've, I've I I thought about that suggestion and I appreciate that. Um, and I think I think it would be cool to do something like that so people can actually just buy shirts. Um, but you know what I've noticed people doing now? Here's the you know what the problem with cafe press and others like that is right? No, I, I think they print one at a time. Mm. And it's, they're actually, they're just expensive. I mean, we'd have to sell the shirts for like 30 bucks and they're right. just, I don't want to have to sell someone a $30 t-shirt. <clears throat> um, but what I've seen other, some other podcasts do is they're actually doing what we did. You go and you find yourself a good t-shirt vendor that's like local or whatever and we got them printed for a really good price. Really happy with the end result. And what then you, what you do is you just set up an Amazon seller account and you ship your shirts to Amazon and... Amazon's your fulfillment, and they ship Prime. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. I know. <laughs> Let's do that. Okay. Uh, I feel that sounds like you just made a commitment, John. I think you might want to re- reward that. Well, that's outsourcing the whole process. I mean, we, we still get the, the the say on the shirts where we get it from yeah, and the quality. Exactly. And then we just do a bulk one bulk shipment to Amazon, and they set it up and ship them. They handle all the logistics for us. All right. 
I'll uh, I'll I'll take that. Yeah, one. we need. To, I mean, I'm sure we need to look into like, is there a, some kind of minimum or whatever? But I mean, there's other small. I've seen small podcasts do this, so it must work. And that's cool. It ships Prime. I mean, I think people will like that. Yeah. Plus, they won't take up a bunch of room in my <clears throat> office. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, okay. Are there other questions, or is it just Stephen this week? Uh, just Stephen. All right. Uh, yeah, info at gooddaysforpodcast.com. Send us, send us your questions, and we will try to answer them. I'm waiting for people to send us, you know, to try to stump us on things. No one's really done that yet. Yeah. I don't yeah. mind it. I mean, I think that would be funny. Just expose uh, how little we know about the world. <laughs> we could always cut it. There's always that magic of editing. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is, is you think because they would send it ahead of time, we would kind of do all this research and, and just pretend like we know everything we do, but we're so busy that, in fact, whenever I get the the questions, I have a snooze option on my email account, and so I snooze it until today yeah. so that I they pop up again right before we record. So yeah, there's a good chance you'll, you'll stump us with something if yeah. you send us a question. All right, well, we're 40 minutes in. Should we get to topics? It's not 40 minutes. It is 40 minutes. You're slow. Uh, I have this theory that uh, Salesforce is trying to be the next Disney. Mm, in what way? They have so many freaking mascots now. They have Astro, and now they have Einstein. And just today, just today, I see this thing coming, this, this uh, picture from the App Exchange. And it says, she's here. And we want you to be the first to meet our newest Ohana member. Since you're a top community contributor, you'll get a special gift from her. Uh... Who is she? Find out in our newsletter. See, I signed up for the newsletter, but of course, uh, I'm still waiting for it to show up. But it's a little tiger-looking character with glasses and wearing a, I don't know, a trail, uh, I don't know, um, ranger outfit. Oh, it's a, it's a mascot, not it's a another person? mascot. Yeah, <laughs> I'm assuming this is going to be the the App Exchange mascot. So now we have Astro, we have Einstein, we have that, and then of course the various bears, goats, owls, and whatever wildlife-related things. You know, I've never seen a software company invest so much effort into mascots. Well, and I've never seen a software company that was so into, you know, the marketing, the spin, the dazzling, the 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 Vegas aspect, the stage show aspect. I, I it's it's just odd. I've never seen this before. So, I, maybe it's working for them. Maybe maybe <laughs> I you do you, you do see on Twitter, you know, when when people get these little plush characters, they give them to their kids and now their kids see them and and then their kids are exposed to it and you're they're getting them while they're young. Now, now these kids right. are like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a Salesforce admin, a Salesforce developer. <laughs> uh, those, are going to be, those are going to be obsolete jobs. Oh, they are, because Einstein's going <clears> to... <throat> thanks to yeah. Rich, Richard Socher is going <clears> to <throat> code us all out of a job. Yeah. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, now, now Dreamforce is just going to be flooded with just mascots. It already is, yeah. It'll be like Disneyland. Yeah. You'll have to stand in line to get a picture with well, all I mean, your favorite Salesforce mascots. And, you you have have this, oh, let's not forget, it's about Sassy. And uh, um, what was the, there's another one. Yeah, there was. What, um, uh, Chatty. Chatty. That's yeah, right. Chatty, Sassy, Astro, Einstein, and now whoever this new character Has is. Has Chatty been retired? I mean, I feel like just Chatter just gets no attention anymore. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's there. We know it's not great, but people kind of use it for some things. And Yeah. They, they've, they've really gotten their mileage. There's not much more left in, in the whole Chatter, Chatty thing. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean the, the you know Salesforce has just gone all in on the Trailhead theme. I mean, it's you look at their quarterly reports, you know, um, Dreamforce, Salesforce's, I think even just all their general pages of their website, 
think most of it it's has overshadowed been... cloud because everything used to be cloud something and now it's it's trail this or trailblaze this or you know some theme related to wildlife or journeys or paths or whatever i mean you know it looks like salesforce really feels that they've got a real differentiating thing here i mean they they consider this a i mean i guess it's a, you know it's it's a homegrown lms just for salesforce i i mean i think it's i again i mean you know i don't really use um trailhead and that's not because it's not great or good maybe it is i just haven't had the time to and um, I, I mean, I, I, I'm sure I should. Just like I should go under the what's the what's the community called? The selling community, not the selling, the success community. Success community yeah. Is that the same thing as the Power of Us, or is that different? The Power of Us Hub, or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what all these things are. I just I don't have the. I just haven't experimented with it. So, I th- you know, apparently, uh, it's what's it called? Trailhead is a good is a good way to to learn things, and and I think that actually could be a really good differentiator for Salesforce. Yeah, I think so. I don't. I don't. I don't fault them for for. I mean, what does Oracle have? Just big PDFs, kind of what Salesforce used to have. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Trailhead ostensibly is fun to use, maybe kind of. Although you know, I've, I think it was was it the last Code Coverage podcast where they were talking about Trailhead and just like all it's just I don't know buggy and they release things too fast and you, I don't know. That software software is always buggy, but yeah. That's one thing about that uh, good old 1992 web assessor. It may be <laughs> super crusty and based on the oldest technology that known to the web, but it works. <laughs> I've never gotten a JavaScript error when I'm in the middle of an exam. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> I haven't either. <clears throat> nope. Um, all right. Can I do a topic? No. No, okay. No, all right. Well, go, go ahead, John. It'll be the John show. No, go ahead. Um, did you see this Amazon Connect? I did. So, okay, so I, I actually pulled a clip, and it's just from it's like their like overview clip. So I thought we could, as an introduction to the topic, we could play this. Hopefully, this will come through. Hi. Yes, that's exactly why I'm calling. It'll be delivered by tomorrow. Fantastic. That was a great customer experience, and do you know why? Because of Amazon Connect. See, Amazon wanted a great customer contact center solution. Scalable, simple, reliable. But finding all three was difficult. So they started building a 100% cloud-based platform that can use your customer data and systems like CRM to anticipate questions before they're asked and uses dynamic contact flows to provide a personalized customer experience that can be delivered naturally using the same technology that powers Alexa, delivering the customer-centric experience you want your business to have. Your business teams can edit flows using a drag-and-drop interface, making changes without coding. The open platform can integrate with your existing systems, AWS services, and the broader AWS ecosystem so you can build a contact center that best supports your customers' needs. And the pay-as-you-go pricing means you pay only for what you use so you can automatically scale up and down. All with no required commitments, no hassle telephony, and no need for hardware or space. So with a few easy steps, you can set up a new contact center in minutes, not months. Get started today at aws.amazon.com slash connect. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a contact center solution. I'm like, well, what is that? Well, you know, a contact center, that's the, that's the new word for a call center, basically. I guess they had to rename it since it's not necessarily calls anymore. It's emails, it's texting or, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is call center 3.0. But, you know, it, so I guess at the same time that Amazon announced this, Salesforce also 
seemingly kind of nervously pushed out their press release real fast too, which was, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, the Amazon has this connect thing for call centers, but um, we're helping them. Uh, we're going to put in, uh, we're putting Einstein in it. So don't worry, they're not, you know, they're not competing with us. It's, uh, it's they're not, you know, this isn't a competitive thing to service cloud or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what it looked, I mean, that's initially what I thought is, oh, this, they're coming out with a, a call center support software. That sounds like service cloud territory to me. Yeah. I mean, and, and so, and I saw someone say uh, in the Slack channel, our, our Slack team, that, well, it doesn't compete because this is, you know, sales, I guess service cloud already, if you want to do, if you want to integrate the telephony aspect, you already have to use a, like a, a separate vendor for that anyway. Now they plug right. in, I guess, but um, this would be no different than that. And I thought, well, I don't know that they're still providing, it's not just the telephony, it's like, it's this, it's the the flows and the logic flows and the right. all that stuff. Well, it complete, uh, <laughs> it's probably more akin to the marketing cloud journeys type situation where you can kind of set up this this kind of flow for you know as things happen and where that where that goes. I, I kind of and and uh, yeah, I guess they're just completely different domains. Uh, one thing you're trying to sell to someone, the other one thing you've got someone on the phone and like you know you're if they answer this way, do this; if not, do right. that or whatever. Um, but I, I went and I went to Amazon site and checked it out, and it's really I don't think it is really a compet- competitive with Service Cloud. It's it looks like to me it's just. The telephony and uh, and and kind of like the scripting aspect. Um, so it will you can you can either do like web telephony in which mm-hmm. it just like you know kind of like calls you like you, you basically log into it as a user I think, um, or you can do like phone phone number based like phone line based telephony which like when someone calls in and it's like they they need to be connected to you it, it the system calls you and connects you with that with that person that's called in. Um. But other than that, it's really not. I mean, it doesn't have cases and solutions or any of that stuff. So it's, it's really there may be. A, I think there's a little overlap. Just does mm-hmm. the, the service cloud do like scripting yet? That type of you know kind of tree decision tree kind of branch skip logic type. It's thing. been so long since I've. I don't know if it figured does, it myself. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but if so, that would be maybe one thing that that overlaps. But it's um, one thing I thought was interesting though is you know Salesforce claims that they're going to provide Einstein to do the answer a question before it's even asked or predict what questions or all that, whatever. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out like how... I, I can't think of a use case, but I'm sure there are some. That can't either. I mean, that seems like a very specific flow unless it's trying to, you know, derive context, you know, like, are, do they sound upset? Are the words they're using say they're upset? Does that mean I should escalate this to a different path because they sound extremely upset or something along those lines? Yeah, or maybe, you know, if they call and ask about this one thing, then just based on all the data we have, like they probably have this other problem too or maybe this other thing would solve it. Or, you know, who knows? But um, Amazon and all their stuff, they don't mention Einstein at all anywhere that I could find. And in fact, they they actually explicitly say that they're using Alexa technologies to do these things. Right. Sorry for saying that word. <laughs> I keep saying it. <laughs> Should ding yourself, but you know there's and it's got the you know the typical things that are cool about you know actual cloud computing, which is it scales up and down automatically without really having to do anything, and you only pay for what you use. You're literally just paid for like the time you spend on the phone, mm-hmm. um, which is which is great. Um, let's see, the application charge is calculated based on customer contact duration with a 10 second minimum, so. Yeah, and and there is no minimum. I mean, you can get into it for 
You know, there's no like, oh, you got to sign up and it's like 40 grand a year minimum. And you have to pre, oh, you you think you might need 100 seats by the, you know, by six months from now? Well, you have to buy them all now and you have to commit to it for three years. None of right. that, right? It's just, you can start with nothing and we'll just, we'll just send you a bill. And if you only took a few calls and spent, you know, 45 minutes on the phone, then your bill is going to be, you know, $2.58. Yeah. If your business does great and you scale up, you know, we'll start sending you bigger bills that are commensurate with how much you're using it, which is the way cloud's supposed to work. Um, there are no charges for API access, which they do have. There are no charges for contact flow or IVR usage. Um, now, if you want to host like IVR logic, like if you want to code your own logic and whether, mm-hmm. whatever you want to code it in, and you want to host that on Amazon and on like, you know, EC2 or whatever, they, they charge you for that compute time if you have a right. machine booted up that's serving that or whatever. I don't know how that works, but they did call that out. There's no charges for text-to-speech with contact flow or IVR usage. Um, there's no charges for call recordings. I guess you can call them all. You only get charged. It does store it on S3 or one of the other Amazon storage things. And so you, you'll get just charged for that storage space, but there's no charge for that service whatsoever. Um, you're also charged for... Oh, no, here's here's how the charges works. And it's based on whether you're using like, like, like a DID line direct... What does that stand for? Direct in, in, inbound dialing or something like that. And it's... Um, it's it's three cents per day. <laughs> so for each DID line you have, it's three cents. Uh, unless you want a toll-free line, because I believe it's Amazon's numbers. Like, they reserve the numbers, and you don't have to mess with a telephone company. They do all that. So you, you when you sign up, you're like, hey, I want an 800 number. They're like, oh, okay, well, here's your 800 number. Or pick from these, or whatever. And they, well, that so, seems like so they run it. That only, <clears throat> for only new people, for people who are just setting up, though, what about existing numbers? I don't know if you can port numbers in or something. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't look. Um, but if you but your toll free number, it's instead of three cents per day for the DID line, it's six six cents per day for toll free line. And then there's the, there's the actual minutes that you use on the phone with someone, mm-hmm. and that's uh, three tenths of a cent for a DID, and and basically one cent a minute for a toll free inbound time. So seems like a great deal, really cheap. They have out of the box integration with Salesforce and a bunch of other things too. I don't know how rich those integrations are, but I can I could see um, I could see this being a great you know add on to Service Cloud, and I know there's yeah. like five what's it, you know five nines and some of these other CTI mm-hmm. people that you can plug in, so maybe they have richer integrations or you know they've been around a lot longer, so they I don't know who knows, but but you know this is this example of you know Amazon when they decide that they're going to get into a new business, I mean they just go all out. I mean it's it's. It's capable. It's it, it again. It has all those properties of true cloud. Right. It's scalable. It's cheap. It's very price competitive. Set of APIs. API first. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it is API first. I mean, I mean, all, AWS is, as far as I can tell, it's always been API first. You've always been able to API automate all the infrastructure. I mean, it's infrastructure as code. Mm-hmm. So that's what I know about it. I don't know. I thought it was cool though. But you know the whole reason I just dug into it is I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, is this a Salesforce competitor? Because they're supposed to be, you know, they're partnering now, and Salesforce right. has become a big customer of AWS. And of course, AWS is apparently, or Amazon in general, I think maybe uh, mainly AWS though. Um, you know, they use Salesforce to, to sell to help their selling efforts. So, uh, yeah. I wonder right. how they feel. What's that? I wonder how they feel being in cloud and offering cloud computing, and then using Salesforce, and how they how they. How they uh, balance out that relationship? You know, there's a, there's been lots of talk, um, in, increasing talk over the past couple of years about Amazon moving up the stack. 
I know. I mean, now they, you know, they started out as just nothing but bare compute. Now they have their own forks of database software. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples. They got other examples of where they've really moved up the stack, providing basically applications. I mean, a lot of microservices and things. Yeah. So, and I, I don't know. And that's moving up the stack to like where Salesforce is, um, is a whole, I think I feel like a different business and I'm not sure they'd want to really go there. I also yeah. don't think they, they probably don't want to compete with Salesforce. So, I think I and you would think way. if Salesforce signed a big deal with Amazon that says, hey, we guarantee that over the next 10 years, we're going to do four or, you know, five years, whatever it was, we're going to do $400 million of business with you. I would bet that Salesforce would require a guarantee that Amazon is not going to get into Salesforce's business or, you know, certain named and, you know, businesses that they just won't get into. That's pretty common. So I'd be surprised if Salesforce would do that deal without getting some kind of guarantee like that. <clears throat> you mean to, to host more of their product on their servers? I'm saying Salesforce wouldn't go all in and guarantee and, and get pods on AWS without a guarantee from AWS that they're not going to start selling CRM software. Yeah, no, that seems fair. Although, although we had uh, the big partnership with uh, Salesforce and Microsoft and IoT and you know that that required a lot of data and movement sitting on the actual Azure service. Except that it was smoke and mirrors. It never existed as far as we can tell. It appears to never have exi- actually been a thing. I'd be interested to know if anyone has worked on that or worked with it or seen it. IoT? In the real world, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not keep reading things about how customers are using it, but I just haven't ever met an actual human who has used IoT. Is it still called the ThunderCloud or is it the IoT Cloud? I'm assuming it's still ThunderCloud. Yeah, and I think, I think the Thunder part's been dropped, but maybe not. There goes Jerry Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and his heli. Actually, I haven't seen him in a while. I, I, that or they changed their flight path. He used to fly right by here. Mm. Um, well, I've got more stuff, John. Do you have anything? Keep going. Keep going. All right. Am I, are you done? Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> well, so we, no, I have a few things, but... Okay, so moving on to our next segment, I guess this would be the C block. Uh, we have our latest installment of the Mark and Donald Trump sitting in a tree. Uh, <laughs> so there's a new White House Office of American Innovation, which is a very Trumpian-sounding thing. Um, but uh, I'm just going through some of my notes here. The, it's the, the office will be run by this uh, Jared Kushner, who's mm-hmm. also Trump's son-in-law. And their aim is to revitalize outdated government processes and technology by bringing in business leaders, academics, and technology leaders together with government agencies. Uh, the office's collaborators include Tim Cook, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Mark Benioff. Uh, and they, this, I think this article over is this from some uh, DM News, I guess. Uh, it calls out how Benioff has also been a, a critic of Trump in, during the campaign. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not after he became president. <laughs> uh, but they had a quote from Benioff, and he's, Benioff says, we, know, we don't agree on everything, but I'm hopeful that Jared, uh, Jared Kushner, will be collaborative with our industry moving this thing forward. When I talk to him, he does remind me of a lot of the young, scrappy entrepreneurs that I invest in in their 30s. I don't know why they had to put the age in. We don't have to get ages here, Benioff. I know. Come on, man. What, I, what, I'm turning... I'm 40, I can't I'm, start yeah, a company? Exactly. I'm, I'm going to be 40 here really soon. Like, I'm, what am I, just too old? Am I over the hill now for you? Yeah. God. I guess he's, I guess <laughs> Benioff's not going to invest in the Good Day Sir podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
But anyway, this is so this is the latest, you know, thing by Trump to to marry government with business. And you know, we saw this, I mean, virtually like right after the election. Yeah. Um Benioff talking about how uh, well, he, I mean, first of all, he did, he, he aligned himself with the right people. He's hired that he's hired, you know, Trump insiders. He's aligned himself with Trump insiders, Jenny Rometty from IBM. There's the whole Monica Langley thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've talked, and of course, you know, they hired years ago, this useless guy, Vivek Kundra, who was the useless CTO, I guess. Uh, it was Obama's CTO for a couple of years, or the CTO of, I guess, the federal government mm. didn't really do anything. I think he's still on the payroll, though. He kind of just probably flies around and gives talks. <clears throat> um, but yeah, uh, you know, Benioff has really um, been talking about how, and, and he's he keeps dropping these hint, hints to Trump that he, you know, he wants to be he wants Salesforce to be involved in this. I'm, I'm sure he talks about the digital transformation, <laughs> uh, and I'm sure our government leads a lot of digital transformation. So that's a, a fairly real thing. But um, I think they have too much digital transformation. But but I think you know Benio's you know willing to hey I'll sit on your business board and I'll support some of your initiatives, but I want you to you know I want you to use Salesforce for a lot of these you know modernization things. So I mean this is just business. This is how these things work. Yeah. Uh, so with goals around improving the training of American people and updating the inf- data infrastructure and in government institutions, Benioff's customer centric focus should uh, be instrumental in quote Salesforcing the White House. We're going to Salesforce the White House. Indeed, CRM and marketing technology will be essential in meeting the goals this new office is setting for itself. We're going to, now, that's great. That's just what I want is the government putting me on their journey. That's what I need is the IRS, <laughs> right? Having me knowing exactly where I'm in, knowing what my journey is. Yeah, he should have filed his tax return. He didn't, he didn't keep his receipt. We saw that. <laughs> well, does that, does that mean the White House will get their own super pod? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Have to. Oh, yeah. Would that be an Amazon? Pod or that'd be a Salesforce. I mean, personally, if I'm if I'm Benioff, I'm going to let Amazon run. Or would this be would this be the first ever case of Salesforce actually letting someone run on prem on their own the software, or running Salesforce on prem? Hey, I'm I bet Benioff would be willing to entertain any request because I got to imagine there, there's no way that that the federal government would just host stuff on other clouds. Yeah, they want to have their own, right? Yeah. Now they, um, I think there's examples of of the federal government hosting some things on clouds, but well, like maybe like the healthcare site and things like that, but not anything that's going to be critical to track. Well, although I don't know how critical tracking. I mean, healthcare seems pretty critical. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, but so Kushner said, you know, the government should be run like a great American company. Our hope is that we can achieve success and efficiencies for our customers, who are the citizens. Well, that, yeah. That's a huge pet peeve of mine. I'm not a customer of the government. <laughs> I'm a citizen. I'm a, I'm a stakeholder. I'm not a customer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I mean, this is, I, mean, I feel like every week we can talk about how Obama and, uh, not Obama, Trump and Benioff are, you know, they're, they're doing new things together. They're like buddies, you know, they're, they're bosom buddies. <laughs> Well, I think it's a big growth market for Salesforce to get into oh, it's the government. So much opportunity yeah. there. I mean, listen, we what's what's the government's budget? We we spend four or five trillion a year, and our deficit is just high. You know, we we just we're going into continue to go into debt to the tune of like you know, I don't know, like several hundred million dollars every day. I mean, why? Who wouldn't want to get into that some of that stream? <laughs> Start making toilet seats. Charge ten thousand yeah. dollars for them. 
Um, well, I, I saw an article that uh, I thought you and I needed to really make sure we're, we're abreast of, which is the three main software development trends that are happening right now. I meant to get into that one, but I hadn't yet. You, you saw that one? I saw it, but I didn't get to this read it. This is from so. the Next Web, <laughs> and I have no idea if they have any credibility whatsoever, but it was written... Let's see, let's see who the byline is here. Um, Raygun. I don't know. Let's see who Raygun is. Oh, oh that's an ad. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, Maybe, you know what? Maybe it was written by the vendor. I mean, this is just... Oh my God, this is a giant native ad, I bet. I bet this is a giant native ad. <clears throat> Although I didn't see where they were trying to sell anything. Anyway, okay. They're just trying to implant themselves in your brain. So the, let's just go through these trends one at a time. So the first one is chat ops. And so the, my ask John is, John, what the hell is chat ops? Um, it's it's managing chat conversations. I don't know. <laughs> so it's it, it's the... And I mean, I, you know, I think we all use probably use Slack or a lot of people use Slack and, and things like Slack, maybe yeah. Chatter. Um, but apparently, um, and I've heard this term chat ops. I've heard some of these guys talk about this. I just haven't really investigated it. But it's, it's the idea that you're already congregating in this online place mm-hmm. to do work and to talk about operations and deal with issues. Why not also be able to have bots that are like listening or that you can send commands to that do stuff? You know, maybe you're like, you're trying to decide whether a, a certain build is ready for deployment. Oh, is that ready? Okay. Hey, chatbot, deploy this build, whatever. And so it's basically just, it's again, it's like a, I don't know if it's any much better than a, but what I'm trying to figure out is how is this better than a good CLI? I guess that everyone can see it. I guess. And if some of these bots start getting smart, again, like true intelligence of some sort, then. That could that could I could see how that could get more interesting than just the CLI. Yeah. And you know, I'm the only one who can see my my terminal. I mean, you're not looking at my terminal unless there's something I don't know about. Whereas if we were doing this on a Slack channel, you can see, you would be able to. I mean, you'd see the discussion that led up to some kind of action, and then you'd see someone take the action with a bot. It's right. all there in the log. If there was a problem with the bot, would respond right back in the log. Everyone sees it. Which I can see some value in that. I, I guess so. It, I mean, it's funny, your, your initial dis- description of that was sounding a lot like the way Benioff described Chatter when it first came out, that you're having this conversation and now, you're, now your data, your CRM data is part of that conversation and now we have bots that will let, the, the evolution of that is that now these bots will let you act on that information, but. Yeah. You know, this thing says, you know, bots can, can ultimately they can create common and consistent workflows. But I thought bots we'll were done. How. I thought bots had their 15 minutes and no one cared. I don't, I don't know, maybe not. They are reliable servants to your team's commands. I mean, I guess, I mean, how's it, I guess instead of doing, you know, like, you know, because you know, you can do like slash Giphy, you know, whatever, show me a funny photo. You can just do like slash build bot, uh, you know, deploy this build. Or I, I think, I think what died out in terms of bots was they're going to be this kind of AI that were going to be, be part of your conversation. And I think it's kind of devolved into a new way of just kind of executing commands for the most part or providing context-sensitive commands in the conversation. Another th- another example they have is, you know, this thing can do commits and merges for you and things. I'm just like, I don't know that I want the bot doing a merge for me because sometimes, um, you know, when I'm at the terminal and doing some get merge, it's actually, I mean, the if I'm doing some specific merge, I mean, it's, I mean, I could be doing a, I could be doing a kind of a three-way merge or I'm, I'm, I'm doing an onto merge where there's three ban- branches involved and I, n- I don't think... I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure I want to stick to my CLI for that. So, yeah, I, I don't really see it for that. I, I could see it in terms of 
task management and things and like, you know, getting like a, a ticket for a bug or something and, and kind of responding to those kind of things. I think actually think they and, show an example of that. And, but. and the problem with that though is then your, some, your channels end up getting so noisy that you, well, yeah, you're it's not just stuff scrolling. It scrolls back too fast, and you don't yeah. you miss stuff. That's you know? the other thing. I it's mean, I don't, not a good I don't use these these tools to do work. I use them to kind of communicate, and sometimes it's very business focused or, or work focused, and other times I'm just like, I just need a break. Yeah, I'm staring at this code; it's making no sense. So I'm just gonna take a break and see what else is up to, or vent or rant. <laughs> I just I don't know if I want to turn that into yeah. another tool. Right. I mean, why can't we let you know chat collaboration be chat collaboration? I, because, I think because everyone's always trying to find a way to, to put it in your face that you have to do something. Well, and in the, in the, again, all the use cases they have, whether it's like doing a, I mean, doing merges, no thanks, I don't want to do a merge in a bot, or or being able to like d- launch a build and it'll it'll tell you the build stats. Well, people already have access to the builds. We already have CI, you know, or build servers where anyone who has, anyone who needs to see that can see that. It almost seems like, yeah, if if Without if, cluttering if up our channel. Yeah, but it, it, it seems like this is more for management. To see what you've done know. and which kind, kind of give them that one spot view of what's going on to be able to ping you. It, it's like to me that doesn't sound what it is. I feel like this is for people who are who get their hands dirty. But you know. well, yeah, I mean because they can they it's actionable, but it, there's that that stuff is available in other places. I mean, you have man, other tools what, for doing that. So the you, only the only reason the only reason it exists is because someone can see the timeline and who who cares about the timeline and the events of how things happen. It's management. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I don't think a management wants to go. Scrolling through hundreds of pages of a timeline, this one an answer. Like, okay, what's happened here, or when's this going to happen, or whatever. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, I think a lot of them are, <clears throat> but I think there are a few that that like to micromanage and they want to see everything and they want to know, they want to see that you hadn't responded to this action in so long, and well, they want to crack the whip. I can tell you that um, this chat ops, it must be legit because there's a stock photo of two, you know, early thirties white dudes with disheveled hair. Um, not very well trimmed beards and kind of grungy T-shirts that are working behind a couple of Macs. <laughs> if that's not the universal <laughs> sign for we're doing software, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay. Number two, using and this is a and again software development trend. Using software intelligence to find problems before users do. So this is, um, I think, this is the. Evolution of like APM uh, application performance monitoring. Mm-hmm. Um, the the big names in this space are, are New Relic. That's um, I bet a lot of Salesforce people have heard of New Relic because yeah. uh, I think it's avail- it's been available on Her- uh, Heroku for a long time. I think they started out with just Java or maybe it was just Ruby. I can't remember New Relic. But uh, yeah, you can instrument your app and it get, can get inside and, and it's not, you know, it does everything from like monitoring logs to looking at, you know, how many re- exceptions are happening in, in real time. Um, it's managing, you know, VM characteristics, heap size, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, not cycle count. Um, <laughs> mem- uh, garbage collections. Sorry, gosh, I'm like just completely brain farting here. <laughs> garbage collections, all that kind of stuff. Um, and And just... You know, it can start. Not- it can notify you if things are starting to go wrong. Like if you start, you know, having exceptions go haywire, or if you're, if your, you know, heap memories suddenly spiked, or if you've hit limits, or any of those kind of things. Um, but the idea here is that you, these things are becoming intelligent now. Yeah. So up to this point, they've been very analytical, and you can set metrics, and it can, you know, add the numbers up. And if you 
you know, if you hit a threshold, then it notifies you. Well, that's not really intelligence. That's just, you know, monitoring things, doing math, and doing what you told it to do when you told it to do it. Right. But, you know, now we're saying these things are going to get smart. Uh, let's see if there's any good quotes here. You know, teams can take advantage of, of deeper level insights into their software's faults. Uh, yeah, this next generation of monitoring tools are allowing teams to dig deeper into the true experience of end users. You can automatically detect when a user's experience was poor and how you can improve it. Improve it. But how can they detect something's poor? Such well, an emotional thing. It's, so, it's subjective. Um, so didn't didn't Salesforce buy a a, t- a a company that had a product that you embed, and there's other ones too that you embed. In like and say in the mobile app that the user is running on their phone and it's constantly running, uh, um, it, it's ma- it's constantly monitoring performance and things. So is it monitoring when I throw my phone at the wall? It monitors how long you had to wait for a screen <laughs> to load. You know how long you sat on a screen. If if you know again exceptions and things like that. So yeah, it kind of knows what your experience is. I mean, to some degree. But it's talking about you know merging. The stuff that the the logging from the front end to the stuff that's happening on the back end, and just bringing this all together, and somehow applying some kind of machine learning or AI to get better insights. Hooray! I'm not. I don't know how much that's a trend. <laughs> and again, this is. Um, hang on a second. You know, the thing with Salesforce is. There's hardly even logging, and the logging is so limited, so time limited, you can't do any performance management on Salesforce. I mean, look at the the state of the the state of the system right now. Is there's that guy that created a, a site that if you're willing to give him his your, his your credentials or whatever, it will log like how long it takes to de, you know to to um, deploy something or to run a test or whatever. Remember that? Mm-hmm. But it's only it's only the mon- But that's that's like that's the best we have so far, and like that doesn't even that's not even an acceptable solution. So there really is no performance. I mean, Salesforce's answer is, hey, you don't worry about that. That's our job. And and it kind of is, except I am developing apps and deploying them to your PaaS, right? Right. And I I know you say you're monitoring them, but I experience the delays in deployment. and, and, And I will say that there's far less runtime issues than there are developer time issues. We're like running tests, speed of test, speed of deployment, speed of compiling, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but um, that, that's concerning those of us that are developing. I mean, what about ISVs who are, they're, they're, they're writing applications, they're, they're pulling them, they're sending them out, but you want to be able to monitor or, your specific or, application. Or even, or even just a company who has an org and they, let's say they have a site, a not a site.com, yeah. but a site site, right. I guess is what it is. And you know, and that's what they run their website on, or a certain a certain uh, subdomain of the, of their website. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just basically there's no built in, there's no way to monitor. You can't get you can't get log, you know, persistent logs that are that are running all the time. You know, you just you can't do this with Salesforce. <laughs> no, but that, 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 I think that's one area where if Salesforce is serious about Force.com as a as a platform, something more than just configuring your CRM that mm-hmm. that, that needs to be addressed. Uh, okay, number three. Trend. The third and final is safely deploying your code multiple times per day. And this is kind of another, you can't do this on Salesforce. First of all, you can't ever safely deploy your code because there is no known good build. It depends on too many things in the destination org that are already there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's no way to, uh, there's just no way to have a known good build. And you can't safely deploy because you can't 
you can't roll. There's no rollback mechanism. There's right. no blue green. I know I talk about. I've been talking about blue green deployments. That's basically just you can do your deployment, start sending part of your traffic to that. If everything looks good, again, you have to have some kind of APM for this to know whether it looks good or not. Then you start sending more and more of your traffic to the new build versus the old build. You know, there's just none of these things. You know, and and so maybe this maybe these are just these are things you have to consider when you're like, okay, do we are we going to build this app on sales on force.com or not? Depends. Do you need these things? Is it that important? You know, do you need, you know, how important is the software? How critical is it to your business? Well, maybe you're building it because you want to sell it to Salesforce. Mm. You want to make it all native. And that's a, <laughs> definitely a possibility. And then, you know, anyway. All right. Um, there's this big kerfuffle over, I guess, the Senate. And this is, uh, this is an American government thing. So that's, I know it's probably theoretically boring to people who aren't in, uh, America, but people seem to be obsessed with our politics and our government. So I don't know. I think it's not a problem to talk about this stuff. So the Senate just uh, passed a law that rolls back um, some n- new FCC rules. Mm-hmm. And and first of all, I want to read some of these titles to you. Here's the New York Times: How the Republicans sold your privacy to internet providers. Um, Fortune. Privacy advocates pour hate on the vote to repeal internet privacy protection. Another Fortune article: Congress just made it, or Congress just made it harder for you to shield yourself from internet discrimination. Mother Jones: Republicans just voted to let internet service providers sell your browser history. So here's what happened: because these are, <laughs> this is this is just the state of of news and and coverage well, yeah, of these they, things. They, they don't want that click. So first of all. All of these articles lead you to believe that there's all these protections that are in place for your privacy, and these evil Republicans have just rolled them all back and you don't have them anymore. Well, the truth is, these were rules that were had been, I guess, approved, voted on by the FCC, but aren't even in effect yet. They're not even in effect yet. Mm. And so what the, what the Senate, essentially what the Senate story is like, doing this, first of all, this has always been done at the FTC level. Federal Trade Commission, different from the FCC, which just can theoretically just controls airwaves and, and communication lines. Mm-hmm. FTC has always con- been the protector of privacy for these things. And they've, and they've been the watchdog uh, watching these companies on how they deal with their customers' private data. Um, there was a, 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 a an appeals court ruling um, last year that basically said, uh, FTC, we're no longer going to let you I think it was the Ninth Circuit. We're no longer going to let you uh, be be this watchdog over people's privacy. Oh, okay, thanks. So I guess kind of in response to the FCC, it was like, well, if FTC's not going to do it, I guess we'll do it. Well, that's not really the right place for it. The right place for it is the FTC, not the FCC. The FCC has never done this. And so what the Senate's saying is, and again, I'm just interpreting. I'm not a legal expert, and there's two sides of the story, and I really don't. You have to. I think you have to be some, you know, you have to follow this stuff extremely closely to really know what's what's the actual going on here. But as Senate's saying, FCC is not the right place for this. These rules aren't even in effect yet, so we're going to roll them back now and try to get them back into the FCC. Um, and here's here's what the FCC had to say about it. Uh, last year, the FCC pushed through on a party-line vote privacy regulations designed to benefit one group of favored companies over another group of disfavored companies. Appropriately, Congress has passed a resolution to reject this approach of picking winners and losers. Uh, It is worth remembering that the FCC's own overreach created the problem we're facing today. 
Until 2015, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, was protecting consumers very effectively, policing every, uh, basically, online company's privacy practices uh, consistently and initiating numerous enforcement actions. Uh, but two years ago, the FCC stripped the FTC of its authority over internet service providers. I think that's related to, um, at some point, the uh, ISPs became designated. I, I don't know if it's a law that was passed. They became officially designated as common carriers. And I think that changed what, how the FTC could regulate that. I think that's what this is talking about. Anyway, this guy, whoever, I think this is our current uh, FCC chairman. At the time, I strongly opposed usurping the FTC and the FCC struggles to address the privacy issue over the past couple of years um, has only strengthened that view. So moving forward, I want the American people to know that the FCC will work with the FTC to ensure that consumers' online privacy is protected through a consistent and comprehensive framework. In my view, the best way to achieve that result would be to return jurisdiction over broadband providers' privacy practices to the FTC with its decades of experience and expertise in the area. And again, This, this, these rules that they're talking about, these new FCC rules, they're, they're, not even, they're not even in protection yet. So however you're protected right now, it's, it's not going to change. You're not gonna, you're not, we're, we're not losing something that we have. We don't even have this yet. So that was like, the, that was the, an aspect of this that just irked me from the beginning. I'm just like, this is, all of this coverage is so misleading. Yeah. You have to really, you have to either go to the FCC's website, which... Whatever, or or like read the read the laws, and I mean, if you don't know all this backstory of of the Ninth Circuit ruling last year, how broadband companies became considered common carriers, it's like it's all this arcane legal crap. I mean, the reality is, is like, I don't know. Do we really want to depend on the FCC or the FTC to protect our privacy? I mean, the great thing nowadays is almost everything has gone to requiring HTTPS. What's the um, what's this campaign that they've been running? Um. There's, I haven't seen a campaign. Yeah, I think Google was behind it. Uh, it's just got some cute name, but it's basically like, hey, let's all let's all certify or something like that. But it's basically they, you know, Google and all these other players want everyone, every website to be HTTPS. Well, I know that problem, I know that Google started prioritizing they sites did, with right? the, with the they're favoring and they're penalizing yeah. if you don't have right. HTTPS. And, and that's really the way that's the way to protect yourself because if you're not using if you're not using uh, secure transport, then it's not only your ISP that can spy in your traffic, it's all the intermediaries right. all along the way. So, I don't know, this is compla- they're complaining that they're losing the, a, a bad solution that wasn't even implemented yet. I mean, I still think we need legal protections and anyone trying to sell pri- private data illegally or without our consent, you know, that needs to be taken care of, but I don't know. I think this exposes how exposed we all are online anyway. Yeah, very much. Well, I mean, but, you know, our generation feels it, but will, will our kids feel feel the same way? I mean, they're, they're so used to, they're brought up on sharing everything. They're brought up on social media, Instagram, Snapchat, and everything. And everything they do is, is an open book. Yeah. And they don't you know, care. For us, we, we've, we've known privacy. We've right. known, we've had the luxury of, of a certain degree of privacy. And even... A lot of us continue that today. Like me, I'm I'm a lurker. I don't really post much. I, I lurk, but I, I don't really post much. Yeah, I'm a private person. I think that, you know the more people that understand how much tracking is going on, the more support we'll have for you know the demanding tech technological solutions which actually protect privacy. I mean, it's things like SSL or TLS, whatever the hell we're calling it nowadays. Mm-hmm. That's what is actually protecting us, not 
someone's well, it, it, not not there being a jurisdiction that says that you you can't do things like actual protection. I mean, the, 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 basically what that what that what those rules did was change. It didn't change what can be protected. It actually changed how people who collected that data how they could monetize it. It's, it said that your ISP can't whatever data it's got on you, it can't sell that data. It doesn't say that they couldn't collect it. They still have it. They've got your packets. You're, you're sending your packets through them. That's what I'm saying. They should be encrypted before they leave your computer or your phone. And I know there's deep packet inspection and all that, but I still don't, I don't think they can get through. I don't, I don't know how far that can get through SSL. I don't, you know, if, you, if you're doing things and you're sending your social security number and you know, important things, which we all have to do over the web nowadays, um, if it's TLS, I don't even think your ISP has access to that. They, they, can't, they cannot get into that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's... I think another thing we need is more competition. I, lack of ISP competition is a huge problem. Yeah. Because right now, if, if you know, for example, if, if in my neighborhood, if, if uh, Time Warner said, hey, you know, we're going to start, uh, we're going to start selling, we have your data. We watch you browse the web. We have it. But now we can legally sell it. Actually, they've always been able to legally sell it. That's the problem. Like, they've always been able, like, still to this day, before the Senate made this rule, they can legally sell it. Um, but if they said... Um, Hey, yeah, we're gonna. Uh, the, the Congress just made it legal for us that we're gonna start selling your information. If you don't like it, you should, you know, you have to cancel us. Well, the problem is, I have no alternative. If there were alternatives, like there are, because you know, there's like I can pick from 15 different electric companies now because they were deregulated. Mm-hmm. I only have one internet company that's worth a damn that I could actually use, and I could pick the one that had the best privacy policy. But there, you know, there's no choice. It's here. Here's what the speed we're gonna give you. Here's how much. You're going to pay for it, and here's how we're going to sell your data. And if you don't like it, then you don't get internet. Well, I believe uh, one uh, philosopher said uh, we're all heading to creepy. We are. And speaking of that, I have new items for my non-existent ghetto soundboard. You ready for it? <laughs> sure. Well, so you, you, I got okay, this is requisite, of course. We're all heading to creepy. We all know that, right? Yeah. Here's, here's my new one. Really <laughs> creepy. <laughs> That one come from. Of course, you got this one. Super creepy. <laughs> I can't tell you where that other one came from. Some are funny, though. <laughs> um, we have rumors, John, that Oracle may acquire Accenture. Yeah. You see that? I was, I was waiting for us to get that to was, that. that. That was in the register. I don't know if any news, more news came out about that. That was yesterday. But yeah, they've, they've hired a firm to help them, you know, analyze the feasibility. But that would mean, you know, Accenture bought, uh, what was it, Cloud Sherpas, which mm-hmm. was in... They were Salesforce consulting. Big, right? Yeah. Yeah, pretty big. Like really big. Hundreds of consultants, if not into the thousands, yeah. I think. That was about a year ago. Oh, no, that was two years ago. Because I think it happened during when we were at Dreamforce. Yeah, like yeah I think just you're right. announced or something. Yeah. Um, so those guys are all still at Accenture, unless they've left. And if Oracle bought Accenture, then Oracle would have this army of Salesforce consultants. <laughs> what would they do with them? <laughs> Make money from them. <laughs> That's what Oracle does. They make money. <laughs> uh, what, what, what would that mean, though? What do you think? What would they do? Well, it? it's fun to think that that they would stop doing Salesforce work and focus on you know Oracle products and things like that. But that's not the reality. The reality is that the money's there. They're gonna they're gonna yeah, get it. No, I think I think yeah. they would largely be left kind of untouched. They would yeah. obviously put you know I think new efforts would they more energy would go into the Oracle programs. But I, I think the bigger question the the more applicable question is why would Oracle want Accenture? 
they're they're a software company, and why why get that heavily into professional well, services? Who who bought EDS? Uh, I don't know. Um, electronic Data Systems was it HP? Let's see, EDS. Yeah, everybody bought by HP. Why did HP buy EDS? I don't know. Just serve diversifying and having, you know, I guess you can make money selling these expensive services. You can make money. I don't know. I'm always surprised at these consulting companies that charge, you know, $300 an hour that l- just lose money. Well, there there are certain, uh, I have heard it expressed before that some companies, especially larger enterprise companies, do want the vendor that they're purchasing from to provide the resources. And I know you don't like resources, but but they want I'm, them to I'm provide... I'm going to take that as meaning... Although you could have implied uh, humans as a part of that, you also meant other resources, physical resources, com- you know, compute resources, and sure, they were just shorthand to sure. include all those. Sure, okay. sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> but but I have heard companies say that that they, and and I've been I've subcontracted on Salesforce projects way back when mm-hmm. and had to represent myself as a Salesforce contractor yeah. from Salesforce. Right. Um, I'm from Salesforce, and I'm here to help. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because it made—I don't know if it made them feel better or just made them feel like they had that relationship with 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 you know Salesforce. But I mean, uh, maybe that's it. Maybe maybe with them getting into all this cloud stuff and trying to build that that trust of, you know, yes, let's get this stuff off prem, off on premise and onto the cloud, and we'll provide, yeah, the res- the resources. <laughs> <laughs> To do that, well, I remember when you're not having to go to some outside shop. You're trusted with us, and we're and you're you're working with our people. The thing is, see, I don't, I don't think. I mean, so Salesforce and companies like Salesforce, they have to have an internal PS group. I know that makes the partners nervous because Salesforce has a pretty big. It's like I don't. Know, I want to say it's like five or ten percent of their business. It may be less than that, but it's big. I mean, it's it's probably into the thousands of people. Their Salesforce's PS group, and they have to have it because the larger companies simply require. Representation, either, either either fully, you know, to be fully serviced by Salesforce's PS Group, or at least be led by Salesforce's PS right. Group, and you bring yeah. in other partners and consultants to to augment their resources. <laughs> uh, and so you have to have that. But I don't think Salesforce, if they if Salesforce could have it their way, they would not have any PS because they don't. Again, I don't know how this is possible because they charge three hundred plus an hour. They don't make money on it. You can look at it's in there. You know, lovely financials that I always like to read. They don't make money. They're not. I mean, they basically it's a break-even business. Of course, they don't make money on their core product either. So, <laughs> but theoretically, they will make money at some point when they, maybe when they hit twenty billion on their core product, and they still won't be making money on their PS group. I think. And so I, that's what I'm saying. At Salesforce, they really don't want to be in the PS business. Um, but people still get nervous. Remember when Salesforce bought, was it Model Metrics? Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. That made partners nervous. Yeah. Even though Model Metrics wasn't that big. I mean, they weren't like huge or anything. They weren't, I mean. Well, no, but I mean, I think I think the number of things happened. They bought them and I think they started changing the program at the same time. The kind of partner program. They, well, they're always changing they the partner program. So it was, it was probably just some standard cadence of, we're going to change the pro- pro- partner program again. We're going to change it. It changed again recently, actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, which, it's at least once a year. Yeah, and the requirements always go up. The amount of money you're paying Salesforce always oh, goes up. up. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know it's kind of sad. I was I was having a conversation with a, with a partner who has been experiencing these <clears throat> these changes, and we were just both like you know you can't 
Because my the thing is, I always thought if I want if I was to run a Salesforce partner, a company that's a Salesforce partner, mm-hmm. I mean my my model is like I would really want that boutique consulting, like right. just maybe like a couple people or a few people, like at the most a dozen, and they're all top notch people. That's just all we offer. And and the reason I wouldn't want to get bigger than that is because you really can't scale. I don't I don't believe you can scale quality consulting. The more you scale, the more things get out of control and you're just, next thing you know, you're just like this average body shop, like all these other, even the top name consultants. It's on average, pretty crummy work they do. And I'd so I've always thought, you know, I'd want to be really small. But I don't think you can have a boutique consulting shop in the Salesforce world anymore. I mean, you've, you've, you at this point been, have been delisted to maybe a registered, the, the lowest rung of the lowest things. I mean, you, if you want to be, what's, what's the next thing after register is a silver. silver yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, the requirements for that, I feel like are, are many times higher in the number of people, number of certifications, all that stuff. Then they, the amount of money you're paying Salesforce, how many reviews you have to have and all this other crap there, which they've gotten really serious about mm. the survey results and the, the yeah. things they put on the app exchange or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, many times higher, like multiple times. I won't say orders of magnitude, probably not that high, but maybe an, maybe an order of magnitude higher than it was what it was, you know, five years ago. So yeah, you just you can't you couldn't do that. You'd have to opt out of the of the partner system. Hey, I'm going to be a Salesforce. I'm just kind of like what I am. I mean, I'm like kind of this, you know, is mercenary a bad word? What's, what's the word? Just call you merc. Um, you know, whatever. The, a dude, the dude for hire. <laughs> You know, I'm a Salesforce developer architect for hire. Um, and I'm not a Salesforce partner. And so if that's a problem for you, then sorry. But a lot of people don't care. They're just like, oh, well, we heard someone, this other person said, you're like, we need you and you're really good and you're going to be the best for us. So I don't, they, they don't, they never ask me if I'm a Salesforce partner. They never ask what, I've never had anyone ask me what certifications I have other than partners that want to pimp me out. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the only people who care. Customers do not care. Yeah. So yeah. So I've you know I think you have, if you want to be a boutique and small and have that just like we're like top of the line like we are the cream of the crop consultants, you basically probably don't want to participate in that entire partner program, which is unfortunate because you can't. Like you have to be part of the partner program to to get leads from Salesforce. Oh, I wouldn't even want leads from Salesforce. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I, get, I guess it's that's a, the draw. Double, that's the draw. That's, listen, the, that's any, the carrot. Anytime someone's, you're a partner is giving you something, that has a lot of strings. Anything has a lot of strings attached to it. And if you're going to take those leads, then you're going to deal with the strings that come attached to those. And if you need them, fine. If that's your business, you know, do it. It's, it's a, certainly a valid model that a lot of people are making work. And I've, I work in that model in, in certain in certain Capacities. And, yeah, in capacities, right. Yeah. Um, but my, yeah, my dream scenario would be, you know, it's this the Jeremy and John consulting or whatever, badass consulting company, badass force. Hey, someone's got big ass force. We're going to be badass force. <laughs> right? Good day force. Uh, <laughs> no, you can't use force. You can't anymore. That you, you, yeah, unless you're grandfathered. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, that, that would be the way to want to do it. And, you know, Salesforce wanted, to, wanted us to... Have a channel to us, which they probably wouldn't, then fine. But I, I don't think it could work. I don't think you, we wouldn't fit into their program. No. So, anyway, um, I have other stuff. Just quickly, we'll have to go a quick because quick, we're running long already. Angular 4 was released, uh, and there was no Angular 3. 
By the way, you know how in the in the Stack Overflow, it's just angular, I, always, I, always, I know that's my point. I always forget this when you and 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 I and the problem is is everyone always forgets this, and people who fill out surveys forget this. They don't realize what they're answering to. When people like Angular JS mm-hmm. scored pretty poorly on like, do people who are working with us do they love it or not, or do they want to keep working with it? And that's because a lot of those people are they're asking about Angular JS. And if you just say Angular, that actually technically means version two or greater. And Angular JS technically means version one. And version two is really a pretty much a ground up rewrite. I mean, they they tried to like create a migration path, but it's I would never. I've not. I've not tried it, and I would not. I don't think I would try it. It's so different, and it's a lot better in a lot of ways. But yeah, so four is out. They skipped three because they also decided to go to semantic versioning, um, and they also had to sync up with like the, their router. The Angular router was already at three, so they were on different. Like the mm-hmm. different components of Angular were on different versioning right. tracks, and they want to sync these up now. Well, Angular router was already three, and there is a part of the, the next big version of Angular. They're it's all they've all got breaking changes, which if you're following semantic versioning means you have to go up to a next major version. Well, since the router was already at three and the router has breaking changes, the next available version for everything to go to is four. So they so there's actually no Angular three. <laughs> um yeah. So it's pretty pretty interesting stuff. They've that could be the new source question. They've gone to they've gone to TypeScript 2.1. Um animations are getting a lot more love. They're in their own package now. Hmm. Um, there's this Angular Universal, uh, sorry, Angular Universal, which I've not used, but I I want to check it out. It's server side rendering. Hmm. So I don't know if this is like that isomorphic, you know, that term that that basically meant that you can. I think it meant like you could the way you rendered it on this client and render the server the same way or something. I don't know, but yeah, there's this support for server side rendering, which does a couple of things. Like I don't know if it's like that that initial one time renders is faster. So like your time to an interface mm-hmm. is like more instantaneous versus waiting for your app to boot in the client. But also when the Google bot and these other things hit your site or your app, they're getting they get a full app. Yeah, yeah. they're getting the, they're getting the actual they're getting the, the markup. Well, it depends on what kind of app you're because I mean if you it does yeah I mean if it's if it's a just a public website app then yeah they could see that being beneficial but anything with a Login and from front of it, it's not going to get crawled. Yeah, the other thing I think, the other thing I think was really big when this release was um, big improvements to the AOT compiler, which is the ahead of time. And if you don't, because if you don't use the ahead of time compiler, what happens is when you when someone hits your you know loads your app, goes to the side or whatever. If it's on a phone, you know launches the the phone app. <clears throat> Angular in real time looks at all of your templates and all of your JavaScript and CSS, and it's basically compiling, kind of compiling that. It has to compile like these, um, like injectors and all these different things. Um, and if you use the ahead of time compiler, then it does that ahead of time. <laughs> does what the tin says. <laughs> uh, it's just faster. But anyway, they, they, there's a lot of efficiencies. I mean, like one in certain cases, like the compiled code is ten times smaller than what it would have been before. So, so I thought you were falling out of love with Angular. Well, I don't know. The problem is, is even though I've I've used, I mean, I've used. So I did Angular JS couple a couple of decent sized projects. I've done a couple of decent sized Angular two projects now. But I feel I still feel like there's a lot of areas of Angular that I've yet to learn, and there's a lot of areas that I feel like I don't understand well enough yet. Like mm-hmm. I use them, yeah. and I got you know they're working, but I don't feel like I fully understand them yet. And I also don't have a lot to compare it to. Like I never really got an Ember, haven't gotten in. I'd still want to you know learn more about React. Um. But I wanna, I wanna have like fully informed opinions on like Angular versus React. 
And that's tough because they're they're kind of both. And they're all, I from what I both well on their way. To from what I know about both of them, I still feel like they kind of have their own place. Yeah. And and if for nothing else, Ion, see Ionic is a big deal to me, and Ionic is Angular. It uses yeah. Angular. And Angular's gotten a ton better. I mean, from my first Ionic project I did, I mean, Angular is so much better than what it was then. I mean, just the ease of working with it. But then some of the things are just stupidly hard. Like, I did this, I, I meant to, I don't know if I posted this, I don't think I did, but do, okay, let's say you want, okay, this is a good, great example in Salesforce. If you have an, um, a currency field that you type a number into, and let's say you type a thousand, mm-hmm. as soon as you tab out of that, well, Salesforce formats that, puts the comma in there and it puts a, uh, it does your format your decimal points correctly. And if you want, so that's basically, it, <laughs> it's a combination of you, uh, in an Angular word, you, uh, world, you would have like a pipe, you would pipe the value through a formatter, mm-hmm. um, but you're also, you're also data binding and you change that back into your model. But as soon as you tab out, you want it to be, you want it to be, essentially run that pipe again and so that it formats whatever someone just entered. And the, the kind of the data binding model that Angular has doesn't really work with that. And I came up with a workaround. So instead of using Angular's like full like ng model data binding, I kind of broke down. I'm really not really, I'm, I'm using half of the ng model. The other half, I'm kind of firing my own change event so that when the user changes it, mm-hmm. it formats it and then puts the formatted value back in. But it's not in the like the most idiomatic Angular way. It's kind of probably ghetto. It works, works fine. But it's like it's like you know, I'm sure an Angular expert would be like, well, that's not the Angular way of doing it. And <laughs> I found the Angular way of doing it, and it's like crazy long. It's ridiculous. I mean, really, all just to format a field when the user tabs out of it, I have to have this. It's like it's ridiculous. And that's what I'm saying. Like in some ways, their programming model, even though it's gotten a lot better, it's still just like wow. It this should not require that much code and that much boilerplate. Yeah, no, I get it. So, um, trolling works, John. <laughs> trolling works. So one of the companies trolling actually works. It's effective. Trolling. Uh, are you saying the phrase trolling works? Trolling. Or, no, uh, trolling. Is there, is there as, some business as, called trolling no, works? Trolling as an activity is effective. It works. But let's start a company so there, called trolling. There's a couple works. of. There's a couple of. Um, Entities that Benioff has been trolling, and both of them are related to his the the monument to that he's been trolling. To, uh, they're part of that the monument in San Francisco to King Benioff. Oh, okay. And there are two buildings. One of them is a leaning building, right? right? And the other one is the Trans America building. Now, are, they, are those separate buildings? It's not the Trans America building that's leaning, is it? I don't remember. I don't think it is because the no the Trans America is currently the tallest building in San Francisco, but said so, you know Benioff's uh, Salesforce Tower. We need to pause. <laughs> Sorry, we had a package delivery. <laughs> um, you don't have to read it. We're, we're recording a podcast here. No oh, thanks. Throw my crap on the floor, John. It's in a bubble wrap. To- so anyway, the, the Transamerica building is was the tallest building. The the Salesforce Tower is going to be taller. And he's been trolling both of these both of these buildings. That he's going to be taller than the Transamerica building, and that you know the other the other tower that's the other building that's right out of the, outside their window is uh-huh. is leaning. <laughs> But uh, it works apparently because guess who Salesforce just landed as a as a as a customer? Not a small. <laughs> they're like a twenty billion dollar company, Transamerica. <laughs> you troll them hard enough, and they give in. <laughs> maybe maybe they had to get rid of all their their legacy servers and move to the cloud so they so. can lighten the building. Um, I have an IntelliJ tip of the day, and these are nothing. These are one of them is one I recently discovered. And I'm almost ashamed I didn't know this before because it's been a problem that I just haven't dealt with. The other one's one I've known forever. So just the double shift. You know that double shift brings up like the I don't even know what they call it. It's like a magic thing. 
Double shift? Yeah, double shift. You just hit shift twice in a row. And what does it do? Well, it brings up this window, and it, it's magical. Um, by default, it kind of shows you a list of your recently closed things. So first of all, that's how you get how you access. If you close a, win, uh, a file, you're like, uh-huh. oh, crap, I'll need, actually need that again. Just hit double shift. It'll be at the top of the list. Huh. Um, but you can also, it's also other, like, you know, it's, I'm sure it's got artificial intelligence to determine. It's also get, offers you other stuff that you might want. And you can type anything into it and search for stuff. Hmm. That's one thing. Um, but also Command-12. This was a new one. So you know how in like Sublime, and I'm sure any good text editor, but Sublime was really good at this. I think it was Command-P would bring up the basically the find anything. Find anything anywhere. Right. Uh, no, I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's not what I want. I want the... Fi- uh, you're in a, let's say you're in a JavaScript file, a long, long JavaScript file. It's got a lot of functions. Mm-hmm. And you want to navigate right to a function. I think Command-P does that, right? Is it Command-P or Command-R? One of them... Can't remember now. Gosh, it's, it's weird. It's like you can't remember someone's phone numbers, but if you if you yeah. you can type, you could dial the number <laughs> if you had a phone. Uh, anyway, so you t- you can type the method, and you, you know navigate right to that method. And IntelliJ, you know, it does have a you can search by symbols, but it's kind of project wide. Like when you type in a method name, it'll find that method in any in, in right. file. I want it to find it in this file, Command Twelve. You get a little window, and you get to pick. Yep, and it's, it's almost like, like kind of like an outline. It's like symbols in this file, yeah. and you just start typing, and it, it's it's real time narrowing that list down to what matches what you're typing, and you just hit enter, and it goes right down. So, a shift command A, shift especially command. for commands that don't have uh, a hotkey. Is that the oh, it's it's do any find any action basically, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's a great way to learn about hotkeys. Yeah. So here's what you do. There's something you want to do, and you can't remember what the hotkey is. You don't know what it is. You just shift command A. You can search by name for that action. So what's what's give an example of one like a well of one that doesn't have a hotkey. Let's, let's say let's say you can't remember a hotkey for format the format code. Yeah. Okay. So you hit shift, shift command A. You type in format code. It, sh- it and then and it'll find it. Yeah. And so you're looking at it, but it also shows you what the hotkey, the hotkey is for is, it. Right. So what I suggest you do right then is cancel and escape right then. Then use the hotkey for that command because you need to start building muscle memory. Yeah. No, I agree. I do that too. However, there are plenty of commands that don't have hotkeys, uh, like true. close project, yeah. mm. uh, which I created one for. But and even the ones you create show up in that list as well. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to. I mean, it's great to be able to search for a command, but not necessarily. That doesn't necessarily mean you want to create a hotkey for that command. Right. Really rarely use stuff. You know. Yeah. Um, man, I've got so much stuff. I, I'm just gonna. I think I'm gonna close with. Uh, wireless carriers in this country. <clears throat> so I've got AT&T. And this is not an ad. Um, and I, I, you know, I've decided we're on a really limited data plan. I think we have four gig to share between my wife and I. So, it, which basically means don't use data. Because even, at, God, I wish you would pay attention to me. What are you doing? I was trying to get back to my notes. Sorry. So anyway, you know, a four gig limit basically just means try not to ever use data. Because even trying not to use data, you're still mm-hmm. going to use at least two gig between right. the two of you. Um, and, 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 you know, if you look at what, at least in the United States, where the market has gone is all these wireless companies are now offering un- unlimited data. And that, that's, everyone's leading with that. Like Verizon until a few months ago. But isn't ago, it unlimited with an asterisk? Like it is, to, but it, yeah, so it might slow you down if yeah. you go over 20 or 30 gig, but it's still, it's still, you know, it's, it's whatever it's, it's quasi unlimited, but Verizon didn't even have quasi unlimited until a few months ago. And it was really in response to, I think it's T-Mobile who's led this charge. Mm-hmm. Sprint may, maybe as well. But now they've all, they all had to respond. Verizon's got unlimited data. AT&T has un- unlimited data. And, and some of them also had restrictions before. Like with AT&T, if you've got unlimited data, you can't get tethering. You can't tether with that data. Mm-hmm. Well, they've had to add that. So I call AT&T, and I've been a customer forever. I've paid them so much money. I'm also a DirecTV customer who AT&T 
recently bought, I've been a DirecTV customer for like 10 years. I thought, I'm going to call them because they'll probably give me a good deal on this. So I call, and because I also looked at, you know, I need to back up a little bit. I went, went to T-Mobile's website, and they have an absolute killer deal. So that's part of the back context. But mm-hmm. I call AT&T, I'm like, so I want to stay with AT&T, but I want, I want to go unlimited, and here's the price I can get it for on T-Mobile. So I just want to, I want to get closer to that than what this is showing me. And basically, they wouldn't cut me any deal whatsoever. It's going to cost me with fees and taxes about one seventy, one one fifty five. But after fees and taxes, about one seventy a month. Wow. <clears throat> and you and, don't, you're, you don't even have your phones with them, right? Like you bought you bought your I phones. I own my phones. Yeah. So yeah. So there's not even a contract, right? <laughs> no, there's no contract. Wow. And and they just they were like, yeah, we just don't we want price match, which is weird because I feel like back in the day, and, and I, I know with other companies you can do this. When you start threaten to cancel, I mean, they get you to a specialist who is going to cut you a deal to keep you as a customer, because mm-hmm. as we know, this is like a you know wisdom received wisdom or whatever. It's much cheaper to keep existing customers than it is to get new customers. All right. Because when they go to replace me, it's going to cost. I mean, that's why I have to advertise so much because they're always having to replace their customers. If they can reduce their churn, that reduces costs, all kinds of costs. Administrative costs, um, contact center costs, advertising costs. But they just were not interested in playing ball. And I couldn't figure out why. You know, I'm just like, why can't we just, you know... Play ball! Sorry, I know I'm slow on these. It's lame. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to get real... Or John's going to make me some real soundboard software. Um, so the deal with T-Mobile is two lines, unlimited data, with tethering, um, the tether so the, and, and T-Mobile's unlimited data, they, they reserve the right to, to start slowing you down after 30 gig. Most of the other ones are like 20 or 21. Um, both lines can tether, and you, can, you get up to 10 gigabytes of tethering mm-hmm. per line. And if you exceed that, then they don't cut you off, and you don't, you don't get, you'll never, they said you're never, your bills will never be more than $100, because everything that we have, like, that's kind of unlimited, or there's a limit for, once you go beyond that, let's say you go beyond your 10 gig tethering, they're just going to slow you down. Right. And it slows down to 3G, which is not horrible. I mean, it's not the end of the world. Like, but anyway, um, and they have so many other things. Like they have, you get free GoGo in-flight internet per month. Um, the Canada and Mexico numbers are better. The international you know, numbers are better. And it's not only is it $100 a month for two lines, but that's including fees and taxes. Your bill will be one zero zero dot zero zero is what you pay, hmm. and I'm just like, I'm doing. It. And the other thing, I did some I did some research, and apparently uh, there's companies that like monitor the quality and the size and the and the coverage of the net, actual networks. Mm-hmm. And T-Mobile has totally closed the the gap on Verizon. Verizon, I, their customers are getting LTE like eighty six point eight percent of the time, and T-Mobile's customers are getting LTE like eighty six point six percent of the time. I mean, it's just like they're just right there. I mean, virtually the same. And so, yeah, I should have my Sims tomorrow. Plug them in, and I'll be switched. Hmm. I'm very excited. I'm excited about that and my <laughs> Roku. Got so many toys coming. <laughs> hey, you got to have things to look forward to, John. Well, I don't know that but a I'm Sim is a new to toy, though. Well, no, but being able to like actually go to the, work at the coffee shop and tether and not worry about using my data. I'm looking forward to that. Sometimes I need to get outside of this glass building and, you know, experience. I do think I need to find like some, well, especially now that I've, Trying to get my well now that I have a plan to get my allergies under control and the stuff I'm taking has been helping to kind of be outside a little bit more. Yeah, that'd be nice Especially before it? the weather gets too hot. <laughs> Should not be such a hermit. Yeah. Get out of your cave. Yeah, still need the shade though because I can't see my screen. 
Yeah, I know you talked about wanting to talk about unit testing again, but I'm, let's save that. Yeah, a lot of a lot of our topics overlapped, but and then I had a few other things, but yeah, we can save it. Uh, I do want to finish up on our last thing, which is uh, a review. Oh, great! We have a new review. We awesome. have a new review. That's the second week in a row. I know we're famous, John. People, famous. people like us. They really like us. I haven't read the review yet. <laughs> this is a one star. Uh-oh. Is it really? No. Uh, <laughs> I don't you know, burst you know what? I mean, it's not that I want one stars, but there is a very entertaining aspect to the to, to critical reviews. <laughs> Why? Because you won't let them go? No, I just think, I just think they're funny. <laughs> not that they're not valid. And, and you know what? I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, people give us five stars because they want to help. They, they appreciate, I think, and they want to help us. But it's, it's not like, you know, it's not like we're a five-star podcast. They voted. It's a five-star. I, I know, but I feel like a lot of that's just generosity. They could have just said four. I feel like they're being nice. Especially after that episode last week. <laughs> Or this week? <laughs> nah. This one feels better. <laughs> well, it feels less hectic. I don't know. Yeah. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a Jeremy show today, though. Definitely. It was a little bit. And I'm I'm well-rested. If I'm not well-rested, oh my gosh, it's like major. I'm not well-rested. Although I don't feel bad. I'm just not as rested as I yeah, should I can be. tell you're, you're, you're on fumes a little bit, though. Oh, that's the norm. Yeah, it is, unfortunately. All right. Let's get to the review. All right, so this one's titled, One of My Favorite Salesforce Podcasts. Uh, this one's from uh, Jason Nabauer. Oh, I know him. Hey, one of his favorite Salesforce podcasts. I know, That's I was going to say. non-committal, isn't it? <laughs> Cheating on us. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you can only listen to one podcast and it's us. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I listen to a lot of the other Salesforce podcasts. I do too. As I, I, as I have time. Yeah. If I, if I can get through my backlog of just one more thing, which is a Colombo podcast, mm. which I listen to when I ride, if I get through the backlog, then I start hitting the Salesforce ones, and then after the Salesforce ones, I hit my other ones. Uh, but uh, I, I have quite a backlog, so still trying to get through them. All right. All right. He says, these guys are funny and keep it real when it comes to understanding what's going on in the Salesforce ecosystem. I enjoy hearing their feedback on new Salesforce features coming to the platform, as well as picking up some tips and feedback on developer tools that help increase productivity. Give this podcast a listen. You won't regret it. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Who was that from? Kneebaum? Kneebauer. Kneebauer. I hope I say that First right. name? Jason. Jason. Thanks, Jason. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you would like to do what Jason just did and leave us a review, that it would be greatly appreciated as well. You can do that on iTunes. Uh, if you don't really you know, like the letters and things, uh, then you can just click the stars. That helps too, I think. I think. Um, and in whatever you know, podcatcher you use. Overcast, uh, Pocket Cast, whatever. I think these all these all have some kind of recommend button, which does something. I don't know. But you can also share us on social media. You know, retweet because we tweet the episode. You can uh, retweet that out. And someone the other day retweeted um, retweeted our episode and like tagged the Salesforce devs and whatever. And that you know, and say something about it. That that's that really that kind of stuff really helps. Um, but yeah, just tell a friend. Join our Slack community, gooddayserpodcast.com, and click community. Just give us your email address, and you'll get an invite. It's a happening place. A lot of helpful people, smart people, all kinds of people. Yeah. Um, and that's where that's where you'll need to go to, to find out where we're going to meet up. Yeah. And if you have any feedback whatsoever, info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. You can send us questions, which we'll answer on the air if you want. Uh, we will not use your name unless you explicitly give us access to authorization to use your name. Or if you just have a topic suggestion, or if you have a tip there or something, you know, some news or whatever, hit us on that email address. That's and we don't talk about App Club. <laughs> exactly. 
Oh, and one more thing. Uh, thank you, everyone, to thank you, everyone who has been uh, liking us on Facebook. I know we don't have much of a presence there. We have a page, but I have, all two of you. But I no, I have noticed there's been an influx of of likes on that page. Oh, so good. yeah, really appreciate it. I mean, should we should we should we give that community some love, or is that is that too many communities? I mean, that is a separate. I just I don't know what to post. That's the thing. I don't either. Do I? I I, I don't. I, we, the, uh, the episode obviously goes there, and so the episode there gets posted. But I don't know what to post because I'm, I'm usually on Slack if I post something. Yeah. So I don't know. No, no. Let us know feedback. Yep. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>